For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to Franchise Players. Desmond Johnson here in the house with you, uh, giving you your taste of triad sports coverage from here and points beyond. The Carolina Panthers in the middle of uh, training camp. They're actually going to be playing this Sunday night, week one of the preseason. Uh, A person that's there that knows them intimately well is beat writer for The Athletic, Joe Person. He's on the line with us right now. Joe, what's going on, brother? How you doing, man? What's going on, bud? Uh, I got some questions, man, because I'm looking around at these different – different sites and there's different people that are there at the Panthers training camp. And I'm going to start off with Sam Darnold because I keep, I don't know what to do <laughs> with what I'm hearing. Cause it's always good or bad. He had a great day or he had a bad day. Like there's never uh, in between. And it feels almost like who, who it is you're kind of getting the info from is dictating how that is. What have you seen with your eyes with Sam Darnold up to this point? Do you feel like the Panthers made a good decision bringing him in up to this point? Or do you feel like they might regret this from what you've seen to date? You know, honestly, Desmond, I think it's too early to pass that kind of judgment. I have seen him be kind of uneven in Spartanburg. He started off a little spotty. Um, I think some of that, though, is they were doing install. The defense was ahead. They were in shorts. Like Offensive linemen inherently are at a disadvantage when they're not in full pads. It's tough right. to protect. And then the, the last two weeks, I've seen a better Sam Darnold. I mean, I, not perfect, but he's throwing the ball with confidence. I mean, he throws a beautiful deep ball. I mean, really can spin it. Um, occasionally puts it in, in into trouble, as he did a lot in New York. But, yeah, I, I, listen, it, they haven't. You know, that they haven't done any real live reps. That's why this week you mentioned the, the game Sunday. Well, prior to that, they have these two joint practices with the Colts. And then next week they're doing the same thing with the Ravens in Spartanburg. And Matt Rule essentially said that he scheduled these, these joint practices for two reasons, Sam Darnold and the offensive line. It's a way for both of the, those units uh, to face a live pass rush without Sam, without Darnold getting sacked at the practices. And I think that's going to be, I think we're going to have, have a lot better feel for what Sam Darnold is and what he is not after these next two weeks. Um, my next question was on Christian McCaffrey, because from everything I've heard, uh, he looks better than ever uh, in terms of uh, in training camp. Uh, what have you noticed from uh, CMC in terms of burst, do you see any, anything different? The, uh, from my understanding, he's actually gained some muscle, too, which is kind of hard to believe. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, McCaffrey from what you've seen so far in Spartanburg? You know, he looks like a guy with fresh legs, uh, mm-hmm. which if there was a silver lining to last year, like he 
did not take uh, the wear and tear that he normally does on on the leg specifically. Obviously, he, he got the wear and tear on the shoulder and a high ankle sprain and so on and so forth. But, you know, I've I, I've never thought that this guy is like injury prone. Yes, he had bad luck last year. There's no doubt about it. But none of those injuries were related to one another. None of them were any kind of chronic injury that you're, you know, like checking on this year. Like, no, he he's 100% healthy. Doesn't mean he's going to make it through the season healthy. But right now, he looks good. He looks fast. He, I mean, he's always like, you know, he's the guy that is like nuts about nutrition. And he knows t- to the like milligram, like the number of carbs and nutrients and proteins he takes in. He's in great shape, and it, it'll be interesting to see. I, I got to tell you, Sam Darnold's got to be the happiest dude in Charlotte, though, to have Christian McCaffrey, a healthy Christian McCaffrey, in the backfield next to him. Oh, I bet. I mean, I've always considered uh, C-Mac, you know, a top three running back, and really before last year, I considered him the number one back. If I was building an NFL franchise, what kind of running back would I like to have? It's Christian McCaffrey at this age, at this time of his career, like right now. He he's pretty much a sure thing in terms of what he's going to give you production wise. So I'm I'm happy to see that uh, it seems like uh, that C Mac might be back. The defense, I, I think I kind of forgot because we were getting gashed really for like three fourths of the season last year. But really, the last quarter of the year, it's almost like Phil Snow's defense. Those guys kind of started figuring it out a little bit, and I'd kind of forgotten that they had kind of gotten their their arms around what Phil Snow wanted to do with this kind of three, three, four hybrid scheme that they were running at times that would make me scream at my television set on defense. What, what have you seen from our second year guys that have had a lot of potential uh, Derek Brown and Jeremy Chin in particular? I mean, Jeremy Chin's a star in this league already. I mean, you know that. And I, yeah. you didn't ask me about Burns, but I Chin and Burns, like there is every other team in the league would take those guys and put them immediately into their starting lineup. I mean, they are difference makers. Derek Brown, the hope is he will take a, a step forward in year two. He had a decent start last year. I mean, he, you know, he didn't get into the backfield as much as he or Phil Snow would have wanted. And as much as we saw him do at Auburn, but, you know, talking to him, he sounds motivated. He, he was saying things like that, that he just, you know, maybe didn't one saying like he wasn't questioning his own work ethic, but I think he knows he's going to work differently in year two. And, uh, and then the other guy, man, like JC Horn, you put him on that defense. Now he's going to have his growing pains. Every rookie corner in this league does, but he is absolutely a stud. He looks he does not look like any other corner I have covered for the Panthers. That includes Josh Norman. He is big. He is muscled up. He mm. can run. He can run. And, uh, you know, he's, he's physical. They wanted a physical press man corner. They got it. Like he's already had three picks, almost had a fourth pick just in, in, in 12 practices up there. And I, I'm looking forward to watching him. Is, uh, is he the rookie that's impressed you the most so far? Or is there yeah. Somebody else? yeah. Yeah. Actually, it's funny. I, I, for, for later in the week with the athletic, I, I ranked their, um, 11 draft picks in order. Mm. Um, and, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just like round one through round seven. Like, no, there's, there's some guys from farther down the list that have jumped up and, and kind of caught Scott Fitter or Matt Rule's eyes. 
but man, JC Horn's at the top of that list. And and really, I kind of broke them down into categories. And I, I wrote this that Horn probably deserves his own category because he's that, you know, he is day one, practice one, immediate impact starter. And guys like Terrace Marshall, uh, the, you know, the, the wideout from LSU, um, Davion Nixon, the D tackle from Iowa. I think they're going to play a lot too. But no one's in that same class yet as J.C. Horn. You know, it's crazy. And I've mentioned this to people before and they kind of, you know, just poo poo, you know, shoo me off. But it kind of reminds me of when Pete Carroll first got to Seattle, where it was like he was still fresh off the USC stint. So if his 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 practices kind of resembled a college type of practice, they had a lot of young guys they built on the defensive side uh, and they just really needed a quarterback to kind of put it all together and they basically rode on the defense and the play of, of Russell Wilson. It, I, I see the same uh, like parallels going on in Carolina with Matt rule coming from, uh, from Baylor and temple and from everything I've heard, the practices seem like they're run a bit differently. Um, what are your thoughts? Because you've been there for, you know, training camp with Matt rule. You've been there training camp with Ron Rivera. What's some of the biggest differences you've observed this year. Now that you guys have been able to actually be out there and see training camp, Whereas last year, you know, we weren't be able to do that. Yeah, it's an interesting analogy you make. I mean, I, I kind of see where you're going with the Seahawks thing. And I do think there's some similarities. Rules, practices, like it, it's a different deal. Like he definitely still has a lot of that college juice, if you will. Like and some of it's a little borderline kind of corny. Like they have this sign in Spark, Spartanburg in the corner of the field at Walford. It says DBO, and that is for don't beat ourselves. And if if um, the left tackle gets a holding penalty or if some, the tight end false starts or if a receiver drops a pass or an, a D-back drops an interception, they got to run to the sign at the far end of the field and touch it. And, you know, Rule said, look, it's not a punitive thing. We're not punishing them by making them run. We're punishing them by those are reps while they're off running. They're two or you know two or sometimes three reps that the guys aren't getting, and mm-hmm. someone else might step up and take your job. That's very much a college thing. He will stop practice right in the middle of a drill and kind of you know get 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 a big fire and brimstone type of speech. They have a young team. Like I think if this was an older team, you'd have guys rolling their eyes and saying, look, we're adults yeah. and, and professionals. But not only are they young, a lot of these guys played at Temple and Baylor. They know rule. They know his staff. They know the kind of what makes them tick. So we'll see. It's sort of like they're young enough to not really know, know any different, right? So I, I think it works. But I think as this team gets older, Matt's going to have to find some sort of different tactics. Uh, I I 100% agree with what you just said because uh, it it actually goes along with my Seattle analogy because that's kind of what happened to Seattle. The first three or four years, they they were really young. They built through the draft. I guess it makes sense because Scott Fitter worked in their office and now he's here and we we saw what he did uh, with the chessboard during the draft. Um, But that's kind of what happened. And then once those players, especially on defense – kind of got old enough to start, you know, eye rolling at some of the stuff they were doing. They basically flipped the roster out except for uh, Wilson, pretty much the quarterback, like that, the Legion of boom, they're all gone. Yeah. Marshawn Lynch gone. I mean, everyone got, you know, removed from the situation. It's like they're restarting what they did when Carol came in. 
I, I didn't think that could work in the NFL, but I mean, hey, Seattle's won double digit wins, I think, the past like four or five years. So clearly the idea is to keep it young and to keep it with that atmosphere. I'm curious to see if uh, Matt Rule can keep that going in Carolina. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts, um, Joe, on vaccines because they're not mandatory per se, and there's no way to really make them mandatory with the players union in the NFL, but should they be mandatory? Um, I, I guess the question I'm asking, did the NFL handle this correctly with the rule they kind of laid out where you don't have to go get a vaccine if you don't want to, you know, your choice, but if you don't, and there's enough people on your team that have been infected, you run the risk of forfeiture of, of that game. And in the NFL, I mean, literally, pretty much everybody's 500. There's you know a handful that are above it. There's a handful that are below it. But for the most part, due to parity, everyone's kind of right there at the seven and nine, well, eight and eight, seven and nine type of uh, team. It feels like it's a competitive advantage to like to be like the Panthers, where if I'm not mistaken, uh, the majority of the team has been vaccinated. What are your thoughts on how the NFL is handling this in terms of vaccines? And do you think there'll be some sort of drastic change? I think I had heard there's some kind of, uh, I forgot the name of the clause, like love of the game clause or something like that, where if it's deemed something that could affect the game as a whole, then then the league actually can mandate vaccines. Like, what have you heard on that, on that, that scene? And what are you I mean, they've all but mandated. I mean, when you see the discrepancies between guys that are vaccinated versus unvaccinated and the protocols and what you got to do. I mean, and what you, what you mentioned in terms of disincentives uh, and, and penalties for, for the teams themselves, you know, I think the Panthers are at like 96% now. I mean, they, that's fantastic. And I've talked to players like who her are anti-vax, but they felt like they had to get vaccinated you know, or they ran the risk of getting cut. And I think that's a very true and very real uh, expectation that they had that I listen, I'm on the vax crowd. So I think the way the league handled it was fine. I mean, they, like I said, short of mandating it, they pretty much did everything but mandated. I mean, the Panthers, when you're talking 96% on 90 players i mean it's just a couple guys and you see who they are i mean like uh denzel perryman their line new linebacker we Mm -hmm. interviewed him at spartanburg he had to have a mask on and and he very clearly he said i'm not really for the vaccination i don't have anything against the people that do it it's just not for me and but you know i'm i'm glad to be covering a team that is very highly vaccinated uh incidentally going to indianapolis this week where the colts are on the low end of the vaccine scale so kind of a little interesting subplot for the uh the indie week i mean to me it's almost a no-brainer like with everything that the nfl's laid out it's it's so much of an advantage for your team to be primarily vaccinated to have the vaccination throughout the entire roster as opposed to say like the situation Ron Rivera is dealing with in, in DC where it feels like half the team is not vaccinated, nor do they plan to do so. And on top of that, you know, he's dealing with, you know, coming out of fighting cancer. So he's autoimmune compromised. It's almost like a slap in the face to me that his players won't do this knowing that it could affect him and his health. I got to think that that affects the locker room as a whole down the road. Whereas with these Panthers, with you know over ninety plus percent of them uh, doing this, it feels like there's continuity and like team building kind of happening in front of us. And uh, 
to let's just leave it with this here from what you've seen so far down there, Joe, what's been the biggest surprise to you in training camp to date? Oh, that's a good question. I, I, I'll be honest. I've been a little surprised that the, the crowds have been pretty uh, paltry for the most part. Now, Sunday morning, weekend, there was a good crowd that showed up. But, you know, there's not a lot of juice with this team right now. Some of it may be because they're short-timers in Wofford. Uh, they're going to go back next summer, it sounds like. But, I mean, you think about it. I mean, this team hasn't had a winning season since 2017. I mean, wow. there aren't even hardly any guys left from that from that yeah. era. I mean, Shaq, Thompson, Christian McCaffrey, Taylor. I mean, like a handful. And so the fan base, I think, is very much in wait-and-see mode uh, right now. And, uh, you know, I, I think once, this, you know, we got another, you know, what is it, five weeks or so to the season rolls around. Yeah. I think once you get to week one and the Jets are coming and the Darnold versus old team, like I, I think I think you're going to feel some momentum. But this is a team they don't have they don't have a star quarterback like Christian McCaffrey's the the face of the franchise. They have an interesting and promising defense, but they're not established yet. I, I think, and it'd be cool to see this team start off kind of uh, you know on on a little bit of a, a positive note to get some momentum going because, you know, I'll be honest, like I'm not saying Matt rules job would be in jeopardy with a losing season, but another losing season, but his seat would be awfully hot for an owner who, since he's bought the team from Jerry Richardson, David Tepper has not watched a winning season and he's getting very much antsy that we saw the trigger itchy trigger finger at the quarterback position I wouldn't want to be the coach. It's not not delivering a winning season to the NFL's richest owner. That's incredible that, you know, from the highest of the highs, the the 15 and 1 2015 regular season where I tell people this all the time and they laugh at me, but it's really true. If the Panthers had won that Super Bowl, they would be considered a top 3 team of all time. Like if you really look back at what they did that season, they would have finished 18 and 1. They would have the league MVP, coach of the year, all this stuff, they I saw some crazy stat where like they were like number one in um separation after the first quarter that season, like the the win percentage or something like that. Uh-huh. And people kind of shrug it off, like ah no, nah, Panthers, blah blah blah. But from that year down to now, the 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 uh the team just kind of going downhill until now. I'm interested to see what happens. I'm really interested to see what they do here. Uh, and you're right about David Tepper. I don't think he's the type that's, that likes to wait <laughs> for long periods of time. So um, hopefully we, uh, we're we in for a good season here. Follow Joe on Twitter at Joseph Person. I'm going to be on the lookout for that article uh, a little bit later on this week on The Athletic. You can catch that and all the other things that he does for The Athletic. Beat writer for the Carolina Panthers, Joe Person, joining us here on Franchise Players. Always appreciate it, man, and we will definitely get back in touch with you here as we get closer to the uh, the 2021 fall NFL season. Desmond, always appreciate it, and uh, enjoy the rest of your summer, man. All right. Coming up, more from Franchise Players here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? 
That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.